mainstream media is dominated by the right and the left. The majority in the middle are left without a voice. You've reached the Conservative Hippie Podcast, a common sense look at life, the universe, and everything. Here's your host, Jay Frat, the Conservative Hippie. Well, here we are, 20 years later. You are probably overwhelmed with 9-11 content right now. Memories, commemorations, all kinds of media is filling the airwaves right now, consuming your programming. But I wonder how many of them speak to the mystery and conspiracy that still surrounds that day. So many policies and laws and agencies and wars resulted from 9-11. And yet, there are so many questions that have gone unanswered by the official narrative. I'm going to take the time today to go through some important facts and some unanswered questions that many people have ignored and turned their back to for the last 20 years. I think that these are very basic facts and basic questions that have gone unanswered. The number one thing I want you to do, and I want you to do it, you can do it right now. You could turn off this podcast, go to the show notes at theconservativehippie.com, go to the show notes for this episode. I have two links that are crucial for you to click on, for you to consume, take the time. All of those crocodile tears and, and emotions that center around what happened on 9-11. What have you done to educate yourself as to what actually happened and what was surrounding that day? I've got two links. One is a five-hour documentary. It is in-depth. It is not kooky conspiracy theory wormholes. It is is laid out very well. That is one link. I want you to watch that. Take the time. I've watched it twice recently. The other link is a link to Architects and Engineers for Truth 9-11. There are people who have not turned their backs for 20 years. There are people that have been out there fighting for the truth. They need more people to join them. We need more voices calling for legitimate investigations into what actually happened that day. In this podcast, I will give a few highlights of some of the questions. I'll give a few highlights. factual accounts of some of the things that surrounded that day, some anomalies, some strangeness, some weirdness that resulted. But the most important thing is that we no longer turn our backs. We no longer go with the official narrative. We've seen corruption clear as day in front of our faces in every walk of life, every institution We can't just keep moving forward one foot in front of the other. We have to go back at some point and demand answers. 20 years later, 
one of the worst attacks on the United States in the history of our country, and we still don't have good answers for what happened. And before we begin, I want to make this final point. 70% of the American public at the end of 2003 believed Saddam Hussein was linked to 9-11. U.S. air defense failed in 1.5 hours to act on the morning of 9-11. NORAD was running simulations. These simulations caused complications with communications and left Air Force resources spent. Even after two towers were struck by hijacked airplanes, the simulation was not canceled. Two jets were airborne in time to prevent the Pentagon strike, but they were sent out over the ocean. Amazing timing for a war games simulation. Similar to the Event 201 pandemic simulation that occurred at the same time COVID was released, accidentally or intentionally. Did you know in July of 2001, the Attorney General of the United States, John Ashcroft, who always flew commercial airlines as his method of travel, switched to chartered government planes. He did so because of an FBI threat assessment that warned Ashcroft to stay off commercial airliners. Have you heard of U.S. Air Force General Ralph Eberhardt? He was Commander-in-Chief of the U.S. Space Command and Commander-in-Chief of NORAD on 9-11-2001. On the 10th of September, just 12 hours before the attack, General Eberhardt lowered the Infocon alert system to its lowest threat level. Infocon is an alert system that defends against attacks on communications networks within the Department of Defense. On 9-11, after Eberhardt knew the country was under attack, he drove from Peterson Air Force Base to Cheyenne Mountain NORAD facility. He was absent and unavailable to lead for 45 minutes to an hour. The drive usually takes 30 minutes. The general could have ended the war game simulation and he could have scrambled the remaining jets to defend against the remaining hijacked airplanes. Yet, despite bizarre incompetence, at best, and failure to lead in crucial moments while the country was under attack, General Eberhardt was promoted to lead the newly created U.S. Northern Command, the nation's premier military homeland defense organization. Did you know the planes that hit the Pentagon and the Twin Towers performed maneuvers that were at the limits of the plane's capabilities? Did you know the hijackers were described as piss-poor pilots by their trainers. One hijacker actually trained on a Boeing 737 in a simulator, but supposedly flew a 757 on 9-11, performing expert maneuvers at the peak of the commercial airplane's capabilities. The cockpit of the simulator model trained on and the actual model flown are drastically different. One of the hijackers 
Marwan al-Shiki, had never flown a jet before in his life, and yet was able to perform expert maneuvers at the limits of the plane's capabilities. But the feat of the day was by the hijacker of Flight 77 that hit the Pentagon. Pilots with both fighter jet and commercial airline experience have stated that they would have had a hard time performing the maneuvers made that day by Flight 77. Air traffic controllers actually thought the plane was a military aircraft when they saw the sharp, precise, high-speed movements by Flight 77. The pilot was able to fly past the Pentagon perform a 180-degree turn while descending at a high rate of speed, and then keep control as they skimmed the ground, striking the side of the building. It was the flight path analysis that I saw many years ago that made me question the official narrative of the 9-11 hijackings. To me, it is one of the largest pieces of evidence that there is a broad cover-up of the actual events that occurred that day. Just by using common sense, the flight path of Flight 77 makes no sense. A drastically inexperienced pilot made expert maneuvers to the side of the Pentagon, when striking the top would have been much easier and caused much more damage. An instructor from one of the hijackers' flight schools said this about the Flight 77 hijacker. Hani Hanjur was not someone cut out to be a pilot. He had poor motivation, a poor understanding of the basic principles of aviation, and poor judgment, combined with poor technical skills. Flight school instructors who trained the Flight 77 hijacker said that he could not even fly a single-engine Cessna by himself. Yet, this guy made expert maneuvers at the limits of capability in a large commercial airliner. Did you know the Department of Defense top-level officials' offices were on the opposite side of the Pentagon from the strike? The hijacked plane actually hit a section of the outer ring of the Pentagon that had recently been fortified through a renovation program. Can I interject from the narrative stream at this point? Perhaps you are logically thinking a few layers deeper than I'm presenting. Perhaps you have thought there is no way our military or intelligence agencies would participate in any way with an attack on U.S. citizens and targets. I agree. It seems outlandish and, frankly, impossible. But I do have evidence that the United States has contemplated this exact situation in the past. Have you ever heard of Operation Northwoods? Operation Northwoods was a plan being drawn up by the Joint Chiefs of Staff in 1962 to assist them in conquering Cuba to thwart Russian incursion so close to home. What does this have to do with 9-11? Hang with me. Hang with me. Let's look at what they were contemplating to win public support for action against Cuba. This was taken from declassified documents. These are quotes taken from the planning document regarding the methods they could use to create public outrage and support for military action. 
and I quote from the declassified Operation Northwoods document. It is possible to create an incident which will demonstrate convincingly that Cuban aircraft has attacked and shot down a chartered civilian airliner en route from the United States to Jamaica, Guatemala, Panama, or Venezuela. The destination would be chosen only to cause the flight plan route to cross Cuba. The passengers could be group of college students off on holiday or any grouping of persons with a common interest to support chartering a non-scheduled flight. A. An aircraft at England Air Force Base would be painted and numbered as an exact duplicate for a civil registered aircraft belonging to a CIA proprietary organization in the Miami area. At a designated time, the duplicate would be substituted for the actual civil aircraft and would be loaded with the selected passengers, all boarded under carefully prepared aliases. The actual registered aircraft would be converted to a drone. B. Takeoff times of the drone aircraft and the actual aircraft will be scheduled to allow a rendezvous south of Florida. From the rendezvous point, the passenger-carrying aircraft will descend to minimum altitude and go directly into an auxiliary field at Eglin Air Force Base, where arrangements have been made to evacuate the passengers and return the aircraft to its original status. The drone aircraft, meanwhile, will continue to fly the filed flight path. When, over Cuba, the drone will be transmitting on an international distress frequency a mayday message stating he is under attack by Cuban MiG aircraft. The transmission will be interrupted by destruction of the aircraft which will be triggered by radio signal. This will allow ICAO radio stations in the Western Hemisphere to tell the U.S. what has happened to the aircraft instead of the U.S. trying to sell the incident. So they had ideas of drone airplanes for false flag events all the way back in the 60s. Imagine what plans they could have come up with over the next 40 years. Check out the document for yourself. This is just one proposed plan in the Operation Northwoods documents. In other proposed plans, they actually lay out complicated terrorist events with little regard for innocent human life. All right, back to the worst collective day of most of our American lives. We have a lot to cover. Did you know in 2001, a cell phone call from 35,000 feet is impossible to connect? Well, maybe in an extreme fluke, a call could connect, but it would be dropped nearly immediately. Experiments were performed that showed calls were nearly impossible to make from even 8,000 feet. But on 9-11, Several calls miraculously went through when hijacked planes were supposedly cruising tens of thousands of feet in the air. This scientific anomaly is just one of many strange circumstances surrounding the phone calls made from hijacked airplanes that day, including 
flight attendant C.C. Lyle's voicemail to her husband that ends with, It's a frame. Did you know the engines used by the 757 that plowed into the Pentagon disappeared? It's true. Each engine is 7,000 pounds, made to withstand enormous amounts of heat and pressure. The engine cores are considered practically indestructible. The engines are the most sturdy part of the plane, much more resilient and impactful than the plane fuselage. Yet, at the Pentagon, a round hole was created on an inner wall attributed to the fuselage. The plane could not have maintained its shape traveling through 300 feet of multiple columns of reinforced concrete. If anything could have, it would have been the engines. The damage to the Pentagon and the evidence recovered doesn't match a Boeing 757. The only video from the Pentagon released to the public was from a parking gate booth. It's low quality. Are we to believe there were no cameras operating within and around one of the most secure facilities in the world? Did you know the Twin Towers had an asbestos problem? From 1986 to 1999, $58.2 million were spent on asbestos abatement projects. And this was just for selected projects on a small percentage of floors. As of the year 2000, the estimated bill for asbestos abatement for the Twin Towers was up to $1 billion. The Port Authority, owners of the World Trade Center Towers, sued insurance companies to pay for the asbestos abatement. In May of 2001, four months before September 11th, the Port Authority lost its 10-year-old court battle. This is where Larry Silverstein comes to the Port Authority's rescue. He was the owner of Building 7 at World Trade Center Complex. In July 2001, Silverstein purchased the Twin Towers from the Port Authority. He had to protect his investment, so he purchased an insurance policy worth $3.2 billion in case of total destruction. Amazing timing, isn't it? But the timing doesn't end there. Silverstein enjoyed spending every morning in his office within the Twin Towers every morning except the morning of September 11th. Even though he had a meeting scheduled that day in the North Tower, Silverstein discovered he had a conflicting doctor's appointment scheduled with his wife. Wow, amazing timing. Did you know there were multiple explosions reported in the sub-level of Building 1 before the hijacked flight impacted the building? Not only is there eyewitness testimony of the large explosions in the sublevel of the building, but there is audio evidence corroborating the eyewitness testimony before the plane struck. A large explosion also occurred in Building 7 before the Twin Towers collapsed. World Trade Center Building 7 collapsed many hours after the Twin Towers fell 
Official reports claim office fire collapsed the building. Amazing that the first collapse of a high-rise building due to fire in the history of the world looked exactly like a controlled demolition. Even though a building had never collapsed due to office fires, rumors circulated at Ground Zero that the building was going to come down. The BBC even reported that the building had collapsed before it actually did. These are just a few pieces of evidence and questions that have been suppressed and gone unanswered for 20 years. This attack was used as justification for war on two fronts, Iraq and Afghanistan. But a third war was opened up as a result of the attacks on 9-11, a war on the privacy and rights of the American people. Now, 20 years later, a new attack on American rights is being waged with a new invisible enemy and catalyst. I believe we can never adequately defend ourselves until an adequate investigation is performed on the attacks of 9-11. But 20 years later, is it too late for that? Is it too late for us? Is this the final culmination of the destruction of the United States and the birth of the New World Order? If it is, we have no one to blame but ourselves. Distracted by economy and herded by fear, we failed to hold our leaders accountable. Let's be friends. We're all on this cosmic spaceship together. Subscribe and share the Conservative Hippie Podcast. Visit our sponsors, SmokinJays.com. Everything for your smoking lifestyle. StonerHoroscopes.com. Adora Zen dishes cosmic vibes for the stoner at heart. KickFromTheSpot.com. Soccer is American.